The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, do you want to follow Jesus? Jesus lays down three criteria for following him in today's gospel reading. The first has to do with family. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Now, hate is a strong word, so let's not make this one any tougher than it is. This is an expression that doesn't transfer well from Greek to English. Jesus isn't saying that you must passionately despise your family. That would be a strange command from the Lord of love. And it might well be that your brothers and sisters are very nice people, and you'd have to be a total jerk in order to create hostility in the home. So, as you probably surmised already, what Jesus is saying is that your love for him must exceed your love for family members so much that your love for them seems a distant thing and your devotion for Jesus is beyond question. It only makes sense then that your love for Jesus should far exceed your love for your own self. So, phew, this command is not as bad as it first sounds. But it's bad enough. It's bad enough in the sense that it's a difficult requirement to meet. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The devil seeks to take the things you most treasure and turn them into idols. So if you have a close, tight-knit family, then you run the danger of turning your loved ones into false gods who rival Jesus for your devotion. You may be keenly aware of this, and so each day you pray for family members and commend them to the Lord, making clear to God and yourself that they are sinners in need of His grace. 
and that it would be an unloving thing for you to value them as much as Jesus. But even if you do do that, you're far from the hate status that Jesus articulates in this text. See, if your love for him exceeds your love for family as much as it's supposed to, then you trust Jesus unquestioningly no matter what happens. Your parents' memories start to falter or your loved one gets the dreaded cancer diagnosis and you remain totally at peace because you know that the Lord is at work. No worry, no fear, no anger. Your child advocates for this or that sin and you know your child is wrong and you never think that God is unfair or unkind for making that thing sinful. You don't question his will or second guess even when you see someone you love suffer or falter or fall because you implicitly trust that Jesus is working all things for good. And when it comes to your love for yourself, you're always humble and you willingly submit to Jesus' will. You trustingly accept all suffering and setbacks, all the disrupted plans that didn't turn out the way you want. Your Job on a heap of ashes still saying at that point, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sin has no attraction for you whatsoever because you never want to do anything for yourself that would go against Jesus. That's the sort of stuff, the expectations that Jesus is saying when he says that you need to hate family and yourself if you're going to follow him. If you're not up for that kind of commitment, Jesus' verdict is stark. You cannot be his disciple. That's not a figure of speech. That's just a stark truth. Jesus next says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This goes along with the love of self, but it focuses more on the fact that you're going to run into trouble if you want to follow Jesus. You're seeing this more and more in the world and the workplace. You can voice an opinion that's absolutely obvious, true, and loving for all, but if it doesn't fit the right narrative, then you're going to get canceled and silenced. You can be the best employee in the corporation, but in a lot of companies these days, you have to bow the knee to the latest man-made religions about inclusion or else you'll be escorted to the door. And before you mount the argument that you'll have to make some compromises to keep food on the table and a roof overhead for the family, remember that you already hate the family in order to follow Jesus, so hungry and homeless, that's a small price to pay. If our culture continues down its current path, it's going to be an ugly and dangerous place to live where chaos and evil erupt. In the meantime, you may find that you may not be able to go to college, get or keep the job you always wanted, marry the one you adore, or be popular around the neighborhood and and the water cooler. If you're going to follow Jesus, there is going to be suffering as his enemies make your life as miserable as they can. There are going to be crosses to bear. And if you're unwilling to bear those crosses, Jesus says you cannot be his disciple. Jesus gives one more. He says, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. After hearing him lay down the law on family and on suffering, it's probably no surprise that he talks about possessions too. 
despite every other headline in the news today, we still live in a wealthy nation during the most prosperous time of human existence. You probably have a lot of stuff, and some of it may be pretty nice stuff. Hardship for most Americans isn't that hard. Rather than wonder where their next meal may come from, they end up annoyed that their favorite coffee is out of stock at the supermarket. It's not walking miles to find food, but protecting the car from getting a scratch. Much of the anxiety in our land is not because people don't have what they need, but that they can't get what they want. All of this means it is easy to get attached to things, to possessions. It's easy to turn them into idols when they're going to rust and mold, disintegrate, or otherwise decay. It is no surprise in that Jesus, who began this text with, Hate your family, also tells you that you'd better renounce your possessions, too. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sell all that you have and give it to the poor, as Jesus instructed the rich man, unless your things are that much of a God to you. But it does mean that if you lose all of it tomorrow, you're back to being Job on the ash heap, still saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord. It means that you're not worried about what you have or haven't got, or what you might lose or fail to gain, because you have no doubt that the Lord will provide for you like he does for the sparrows and the lilies of the field. If you do not view your possessions so freely like this, again, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. What is the solution? Count the cost, says Jesus. Make sure you know what you're doing and make sure that you can finish the job. Think of the builder who makes sure that he can finish the tower before he lays the foundation, lest he end up with only a hole in the ground that testifies to his incompetence. Think of the king who's outmatched by the enemy, so he seeks peace rather than foolishly sacrificing his kingdom. Look ahead. Know what's at stake. Count the cost. Now, this is the point where many, many sermons run off the rails. You might have been subjected to these sermons somewhere along the way. This is where the preacher looks at you and says... Have you counted the cost? Have you got what it takes to follow Jesus? Then he talks about how you have to try harder at being a disciple. Unless the lines have changed, he'll say something like, there are still some parts of your life that you haven't fully surrendered to Jesus, or you're one of those lukewarm Christians who has made Jesus your Savior, but not your Lord, as if you could make Jesus anything. Or he might say, Inside your heart, there's that one little room that you haven't let Jesus into where you keep the stuff you don't want him to see and you can't call yourself a Christian until you do. Or you might say, until you love Jesus with your whole heart and not just a part of it, you can't be sure you're going to heaven. Or he might say, you're salt with barely any taste left, so you'd better try harder. With a foray like that, he'll then spend the rest of the sermon trying to psych you up to go out and live a better life that week. And because you're a decent person who wants to please Jesus, you'll do your best and you'll come up short and you'll end up the following Sunday agreeing with the preacher that you're not near as committed as you should be and you really haven't gotten anywhere. 
whereupon he will preach the same sermon with a different illustration and tell you to do better this week. Somewhere, a warning bell should be ringing in your head. Any preacher who says that you have to totally clean up your life to follow Jesus is saying that you're not saved by grace alone. A pastor like that is more works-oriented than his usual favorite punching bag, the Roman Catholic Church. If you think that that is the message of Christianity, you're going to come to one conclusion. You do not have what it takes to follow Jesus. Or, you could save yourself a lot of time and a lot of lousy sermons and hear this right now. You don't have what it takes to follow Jesus. No matter how much you know that Jesus is greater than family and you want them under his mercy, no matter how much you're willing to shoulder a cross and walk aways, no matter how much you carefully guard yourself from idolizing your possessions, you do not have what it takes to follow Jesus. You have counted the cost and you can't pay. Jesus wants you to know this so that you don't trust in yourself and your stellar job of cleaning out the closets of your heart. He also wants you to know that, now that you're counting the cost, he's already paid it. Because you do not hate your family to perfectly follow Jesus, he became flesh and was perfectly obedient to his Father's will. Because you bridle at suffering and giving up sins and bearing crosses, He bore your sins to his cross and suffered God's wrath for them there. Because you're more attached to your possessions than you should be, he went about his ministry without even a place to lay his head so that he might give you the kingdom of God. You can't build and finish the tower. And anyway, trying to get to God that way didn't work out so well in ancient Babel. You can't win the battle either, so Jesus offers these terms of peace. He says, I've defeated sin and death and devil by dying in your place. I've suffered my father's wrath so that my kingdom is yours. If being a disciple of Jesus means perfectly hating family, perfectly bearing crosses, and perfectly renouncing possessions— You do not have what it takes. And if you did, you probably wouldn't need a savior anyway. So count the cost and rejoice always that Christ has paid it for you. He says, come follow me when you're baptized, making clear that you're his disciple by his work, not yours. He continues to speak his forgiveness and life into you. He feeds you his body and blood. Count the cost. Give thanks that he has paid it. And rejoice in the grace and life and all that he gives to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.